The Incredible Hulk. Anybody remember that? Back in the late 70s, early 80s? It was always the highlight to see Bruce Banner, little skinny guy, transform into that green, muscle-bound Hulk. If you know the story, which I'm sure you probably do, what is it that turns Bruce Banner into the Hulk? His anger, right? He would try to fight it off, but then he would get angry. And I went back and actually watched the opening credits of that TV show. Things have come a long way in TV since then. <laughs> just, just being honest, but for a five-year-old kid, it was the greatest thing in the world. But, but in the opening credits, Banner would say every week, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Boy, was that right. The change might not be as dramatic as the Hulk. But I think we can all sympathize with the powerful effect that our anger has upon us. Sadly, we can turn into a different person. It might be an outburst of anger, like the Hulk, where we want to go flip over a car, we're that angry. Or it might be more internal, a seething kind of, brooding anger. We turn green on the inside, if you will. So, as we try to deal with anger, people come up with all different approaches. Probably in our culture, the most popular approach is what is called anger management. Anger management. You guys heard of anger management? Very popular. Anger management usually involves various types of uh, techniques like relaxation, using humor, changing your environment, and so on. And as they study this, they, sh- they show that these techniques can make some difference. Based on uh, the available research, anger expert psychologist Howard Casanova says that anger management programs, quote, are moderately effective for treating anger in various groups, end quote. Let me make a bold claim here this morning. Scripture offers greater hope than mere moderate effectiveness in dealing with anger. You can do more than manage anger. You can conquer it. You can go beyond anger management to anger removal. Colossians 3.8 tells us, Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Friends, if God commands us to do something, then that means that we can do it. He doesn't command what cannot be done. Ephesians 4.31 echoes this. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So we can put away all types of anger, both external and internal, both uh, blowing up and clamming up, depending on your makeup. The Bible says that we can put them all away. That's pretty bold stuff you're saying here today. Why so bold? Well, the Christian has supernatural resources at his disposal. Amen? 
Supernatural resources. We have a transformed view of God and of ourselves. We have the Scriptures to lead us and teach us and guide us. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us the power of God. Moreover, Scripture rightly teaches that anger comes from our heart. And so, to conquer anger, we must focus on the heart. Anger management techniques can be helpful in some way, but we need to actually uproot the anger that is in our hearts, or otherwise, in essence, we're kind of just dealing with the symptoms rather than the problem. Do you see the difference? We need to remove the roots of anger and the fruits of anger. And today we're going to see how Scripture gives us hope and how to conquer anger. I hope that you'll sense that and feel that and learn that here this morning. Because there is hope. We're not trapped in anger. Just because you have a, a, a temper, a natural temper, doesn't mean that you're bound in anger. Just because you grew up with a lot of anger in your home, doesn't mean that you are bound in anger. Jesus is greater, amen? By way of reminder, that's what we're talking about here. This sermon series is about Jesus is greater, finding hope in the midst of life's struggles. We're going to cover, we've been covering topics like doubt and depression and guilt and forgiveness and grief and so on, which all affect us in various ways. And we're going to go through them one by one and see how God's Word gives us hope. Now just to recap from last week, we did part one of anger. We laid the foundation. And I want to take just a, a couple of moments here and recap that because it's important for us to launch into today's message. We started off by discussing what is anger. We said that anger is a, is a natural response to a perceived wrong. It, it's not wrong in and of itself. And that's what we often call righteous anger. God Himself gets angry at evil and sin in the world. Jesus, we see several times in the Gospels, becomes angry. And so anger itself is not wrong. It's this natural God-given emotion that we should use to energize us to address the wrongs that we see. But there's a distinction between righteous anger and sinful anger. And the latter is where anger goes wrong in some way. For example, we express our anger in an uncontrolled way, right? Or we become angry and we express it, but then it just lingers on in our minds and it festers in our hearts and we go away and we pout or we no longer have anything more to do with that person which is destroying the relationship. That is not righteous anger. So when Scripture warns us about anger and kind of what we naturally think of when anger comes to mind, that's what we're talking about. Sinful anger. And we closed the message last week by talking about God's view of anger, sinful anger. And we says that, it said that it, Scripture tells us that God doesn't like it. We saw three reasons. Just real quick recap here. Anger is foolish. It's foolish. It destroys our relationships. It destroys our health. And it brings together, it causes other sins to gather around that sin of anger. So anger is foolish. Anger is Murder. That's right. Jesus said that when we hate our brother in our heart, that it's the same emotion as it would be if you actually carried out the act. Now, of course, we know there's a difference that 
between actually carrying out the act and what goes on in our heart. But God knows our hearts, and when He sees us angry like that, He sees the same emotion. And the reason why we don't carry it out is probably because we're, we're afraid of the consequences rather than we fear God or we, we have self-control. We're just afraid of the consequences. But God sees our hearts, and He says that it is murder. Very serious. And then Jesus also teaches that anger is worthy of eternal judgment. In that same passage in Matthew 5, Jesus refers to the fires of hell. He says anger is a sin, and like all sin, it leads to God's judgment. And so if there's no change in our heart, when we say we become Christians and we just keep going on being angry, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly in the faith? So hopefully we're motivated, right, as we come into today's message both by the seriousness of anger and by the hope that Scripture lays out on the table for us that we would want to come and conquer anger. Thankfully, Scripture has a lot to say about it. And as we go through today's passage, I want to boil it down to what I would just call three principles to conquer anger. Three principles to conquer anger. The first is this. Trust God. Trust God. We say, well, that sounds pretty simple. That's easy. I trust God. But I'm still angry. Let me dig a little bit here. Let me dig a little bit here. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Great quote. Everything starts with our view of God, friends. I believe this is true in every area of life, including anger. If we view God as our almighty creator who cares about our lives and controls our circumstances... It can transform your anger. Overcoming anger is primarily about your relationship with God. Did you get that? And at the heart of sinful anger is a lack of trust in God. It's a lack of trust in God. As I thought about it, there's three ways that we, we fall into anger, and if we dig a little bit further and go beyond just the breathing techniques and this or that, if we look at what's really going on, at the heart of it is a lack of trust in God. Let me invite you to turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Page 1012 if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you. The first way that we show our lack of trust in God is that we get angry because we want things too much. We want things too much. James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now James is not saying that these Christians, I don't think so, I don't think he's saying these Christians were literally killing each other. I think following Jesus' cue there, that they were angry though, and so they were spiritually murdering one another by their desires. And this really leads to something important. The cause of their anger, did you get that in the passage? Was their unmet desires. Now this is important. 
Notice that it doesn't say their desires are wrong. Because he says you can go on to ask God for those desires and he may give them to you. So he's not saying that these were evil desires because we don't ask God. He doesn't give us our evil desires, does he? Are you following with me? These, these desires weren't necessarily bad. These might have been good desires, a relationship, money, a good grade, promotion, whatever it might be. Or we might have legitimate desires that we would like from other people. A husband might want respect from his wife. A wife might want love and understanding from her husband. Parents might want their children to obey. Customers might want good service from businesses. None of those are wrong, are they? But we simply want them too much. And so when we get them, we're happy. Right? When everything goes your way, who gets angry, right? But we know that's not the way things work, is it? And so when we don't get what we want, we become angry. Those things, which may not be bad, have become idols. God substitutes that we must have in order to be happy. Practically speaking, just stop and ask yourself in this moment, once the motorcycle passes there, (laughs) think about how many times you get angry because your desires are not met. A lot of it, isn't it? Not bad desires, just desires. They don't get met. We want them so bad we get angry with other people, angry with ourselves, or whatever, the, angry with God. We need to take a step back and say, you know what, we're not trusting God enough to satisfy our hearts with who He is and of Himself and His ability to provide for our needs in His way and in His timing. It's about His will be done, His kingdom come, not my kingdom, not my will be done. Do you see the difference? So we get angry because we want things too much instead of trusting God. Second, we get angry to control people. We get angry to control people. You know what? Here's a news flash for you in case you never realized it. Anger does work, right? I mean, that's why people get angry, because it works. They get their way in the workplace or in the business. They get angry because the person doesn't want to fight them or they don't want to deal with that stuff. They get tired of getting badgered, and so they give in. And then it reinforces that person to keep getting angry, right? Because you get your way. We get mad a lot, don't we? to get other people to do what we want. We get mad at our children so they'll obey us. We get mad at our spouse so they'll do something we want. However, is this good? Does this please God? We're damaging these relationships. And more importantly, it shows a lack of trust in God. Now let me be clear, I think there is a time where you do sit somebody down and you share your concerns about how something can be better and something can be improved in the home or the workplace, whatever. But we don't do those things to control them, do we? Out of anger. 
You say, what should we do? We pray for them. We pray for them. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Do you believe that scripture? Do you believe that God controls and influences the most powerful person in our land? Then why do we try to control and manipulate other people so much instead of taking time out to pray for them and entrust that God can influence and control them, perhaps in a favorable way toward us, and even if they don't, we still trust God. Amen? Third, we get angry about our circumstances. We're angry at being stuck in traffic. We're angry at being passed over at work. We're angry that our child is misbehaving. We're angry that we have a sickness. We're angry that we have maybe a nagging frustration and how our life is going in the various circumstances. And perhaps that leads us to blow up. Or perhaps it sort of just makes us just bitter and angry and we carry around in us this negative attitude toward God and toward others. Maybe we're not trying to control and manipulate others like I said before, but we've just sort of grown angry and despondent. Friend, if you are seeking the Lord and faithfully walking before Him, God is not punishing you. So why get angry? Instead, why not trust that God has ordained this circumstance for His purposes that you cannot see right now? So instead, we're to pray about this circumstance. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not easy. I know that. But the Bible's promises are laid out on the table for us that we can have peace in every circumstance instead of anger. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He cares for you. He doesn't want you to walk around with anger and bitterness. He wants you to have peace. But you can't do it by simply having a punching bag in your basement or counting to ten every time you get frustrated. You've got to go to God with these things and unload your anxieties and your circumstances on Him. From the very depth of your soul, pour it out on Him. And trust that He cares for you. And just as a footnote to this point about we get angry about our circumstances, when people wrong us, sinful anger drives us to want to get revenge, doesn't it? Now I'm not saying it's not wrong to seek justice, where wrongs are righted. But sinful anger goes beyond that, where we want vengeance, don't we? Because, man, it feels good to think about that man or woman getting what they deserve, right? Feels good. But Scripture tells us to put away that desire and let the Lord defend you. Pro- or, excuse me, 
and a lot of Proverbs here, but this is Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. Paul gives powerful counsel about trusting God for revenge. And he's writing to the church at Rome, and yeah, Nero's persecuting things. This wasn't a church just having everything in, in Camelot. This was churches that were experiencing hardship. And this is what he tells these Christians. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, listen to this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we shouldn't get angry and try to avenge ourselves when we're wrong. We are not in charge. But we're to trust God to bring about His vengeance, and His timing, and in His way. Let me tell you, personally, this truth has revolutionized my life. Because instead of trying to do exact revenge on people, I can pull back and say, you know what? I can leave that situation to God. And he will bring about whatever he sees fit, either here in this lifetime, or if not in this lifetime, I have a full confidence that on Judgment Day, it's all going to be evened out. And my piddly efforts to try to bring justice and vengeance are so often flawed with sin and pride. But God is not flawed by any of those things, and he will bring it about. And it's freeing, friends, to not be bound to want to seek vengeance on everybody. Who wrongs you? But instead, to follow what Jesus or Paul teaches here and what Jesus tells us to do, to love our enemies. So, friends, essential to conquering anger is a deep abiding trust in God. I think this is the most important element. If you want to overcome anger, is your view of God. Do you have a deep, abiding trust in Him? When you don't get what you want, when someone is bothering you, you feel like you need to control that person, or you are upset about your circumstances, will you trust God? Amen? So, that is the key thing. But Scripture also tells us not only how we should think, but how we should act. And this leads to the second principle, how we process our anger. And here's the second principle. Be slow to anger. Hopefully with all that we've covered so far, it will help you hit the brakes on your anger. But it's still important to know what Scripture says about how to respond. So we should be slow to anger. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules a spirit, then he who takes a city. In other words, if, you're, if you can control your anger, you're greater than a mighty warrior. It is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. Because we know, as it's sometimes said, we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Battling ourselves is the greatest, most powerful enemy. And it's interesting. You know, for example, say someone like Alexander the Great. 
he conquered much of the known world in about a decade. I mean, this guy was the conqueror extraordinaire. He won every single battle he was engaged in. Even when he was greatly outnumbered, he won every battle. But he couldn't control his anger. One occasion, he killed one of his faithful military leaders in a drunken rage. A man who had saved his own life in battle. Immediately once he did it, he was devastated at what he had done. He could conquer the known world, but he couldn't conquer his anger. So, it's incredibly difficult to control anger, and a particular danger is our speech. When we have to be slow to speak when anger is present. And Scripture has much to say about being slow to speak when we're angry. Proverbs 12:16 says, The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. James 1:19 says, Let every person be sl- quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why do we have to hit the brakes when we are tempted to be angry and speak out about it? Well, the Scripture tells us that our hearts are corrupted by sin. Jeremiah 17:9 tells us our hearts are deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So our hearts are sinful, so it's expected that our tongues, since they're an expression of our hearts, will communicate what is going on in our hearts. And we know sometimes, let's be honest, the first thing that comes to our mind in this kind of situation is not what we should say, is it? And so if we're hasty in speech, sin's going to come out, and likely one of the chief daggers that's going to come out is anger. James 12, 8, Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Man, what an image. What an image. Uh, just a quick thrust of the sword can physically injure someone, even kill them. And a quick thrust of the tongue can just spiritually crush someone, can it? And the sad thing is is we can't retrieve that remark once it leaves our mouth. We've all heard that expression, I think, bite your tongue. Everybody heard that one? It means that we should think about what we're going to say and maybe decide to hold back, bite down on our tongue instead of saying it. I think as Christians, we should have bite marks on our tongue. I'm kidding, kind of. But I really mean it. I mean, I have no idea if you bite your tongue enough, will it leave a permanent mark? I have no idea. But the point is, is that we should do it so often that maybe it does leave a mark on our tongues. We must train our hearts to bite our tongues, to be slow to speak. Again, I'm not saying you become a weak, passive doormat, that you never have those conversations. You know the ones that I'm talking about, the ones you really don't want to have with somebody, where you do have to say something that's on your heart, a concern. But you know what? We're slow to speak about it. We pray about that situation. We pray for that person. We get counsel on how we should approach it. And then we love them and approach them gently. Amen? Slow to speak. And when we do speak, speak gently. 
Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we're to be slow to get angry. Then on the other end of the spectrum, we're to be quick to deal with anger. And this is the third principle, to be quick to deal with anger. Ephesians 4.26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Do not let the sun go... Oh, repeated that there. So we shouldn't let the sun go down on our anger. So Paul uses this figure of speech to say, look, don't let too much time go by. Deal with it quickly, right? You say, why is that? Well, he tells us. If we don't, we give the devil an opportunity. An opportunity to do what? You're right, to deceive us. And to start making you think things. And to be tempted to do stuff. And to turn that one sin that, was gone, that had happened to you and to snowball and to start wreaking havoc in your life. Isn't it amazing how when you get angry, all of a sudden it's like a huge spiritual magnet is formed on your heart and you just start attracting other sins. They start coming your way and you're so tempted to want to say something to that person will be cruel and harsh. And then you want to start doing stuff and then you start thinking of things that aren't even related to the particular offense. You just want to get angry and unload, right? It's like the gate goes down and Satan just starts flooding in. And it's crazy how people who are normally just mild-mannered, regular folks, but when they get angry, look out. They can become the worst thugs, saying all kinds of things, want to harm people physically, even kill people. Because of anger that gets out of control. So I think Scripture would tell us, friends, to not let anger fester and mushroom, but to deal with it quickly. Jesus even goes a step further and tells us that we should deal immediately where anger has ruptured a relationship. Let me invite you to turn over to Matthew chapter 5. We looked at it last week, but just one more time. Jesus has an additional insight here that is really important. Matthew chapter 5. says, I'll just pick up in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So listen to verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So in the context, Jesus is speaking here under the Old Testament sacrificial system where they were to go and bring an offering to the temple there, but he's saying, look, in the midst of all that, if you realize that your brother, you somehow offended your brother through your angry, you know what? Just leave your gift right there and go reconcile with your brother. 
Now, obviously, we're not under the Old Testament sacrificial system anymore, but I think that underlying principle still remains. That we should drop everything. That's how important it is to be quick to reconcile and deal with our anger. That if we're in the midst of worship and something comes to your mind, you know what, maybe you need to slip out the door. (laughs) To get home and do something about it. Jesus is saying, look friends, this is pressing. This is pressing. We need to confess. And if we're going to overcome anger, that means that we have to confess those that we have wronged by our anger. You know what the word confess means? It means that you agree with God. You agree with God. You're saying the same thing as God says about anger. You're saying that it matters. You're not making excuses. You recognize its hurtfulness. You recognize how damaging it is. You're, stu- you're not making the excuses anymore, and you're going to go and confess it. So I truly believe, friends, that if we're sitting here today, and that we have, if we have wronged someone by our anger in our words or actions, or maybe it's just sort of an ongoing, just irritability with someone we know, we should confess it. And of course we should confess it to God because all sin is ultimately a sin against God. Do we want to conquer anger? Do you guys want to conquer anger? I think we need to do what Jesus tells us, right? And we're not going to conquer it if we just have things in our heart that have never been reconciled with other people and we've never confessed, we've never gotten right with these things and we just expect to keep on marching along in the Christian life. God is not going to bless that. But if we do, there's peace and joy and reconciliation. Let me close by discussing anger in the cross. Scripture teaches that God is perfectly just and holy. And we are not, as we've been seeing, pretty plain and clear. We all sin. We fall short of the glory of God. And friends, because of God's perfect, just, holy nature, He can't look past our sin. He's not going to sweep it under the rug. He must punish our sin. And here's where Jesus comes in. Jesus is fully God, and He becomes man. He lived this perfect life, the life that we should live out, but that we do not. And when He died on the cross, He died not for His sin, but for ours. He is our substitute. He received the punishment of God, the wrath of God, the perfect anger of God. So the cross, friend, is an enduring testimony of the reality that God's anger is pure, it is precise, and it is powerful. If God was not angry with sin... Jesus would have never come to the earth, would He? And He certainly would not have gone and endured what He did on the cross, the physical and the spiritual torment that He endured, would He have? And the cross is also an enduring testimony to how God provides a way to escape His anger. God doesn't have to do that for us. It's grace. It's grace. He didn't have to. But that's who He is. 
He's gracious. And so therefore, Jesus goes and He takes God's anger on Himself. And 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means an atoning sacrifice that satisfies God's anger. Jesus made a sacrifice that wipes away God's sin perfectly and permanently. But it doesn't just happen automatically. We must confess our sins to God, including our anger. We must believe in Christ to embrace Him as our Lord and Savior. But if we don't, we remain under God's anger. It's like a spiritual two-ton safe that just hangs over our head by a thread. And at any point, we could die and experience that wrath. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Believe in Christ today. Come out from under the wrath of God and receive eternal life. Amen? Today be the day of salvation. And once you are a Christian, by God's grace you have a new heart. One that can put away anger. Yet we all know we still struggle with it at times, don't we? So, in addition to applying those things I mentioned earlier, those principles, let me also encourage you just to regularly go back and think about the cross. Remember, Christ taking God's anger. I think it should cause us to want to despise our own sin and, yes, our own anger by thinking of what Jesus endured to satisfy the wrath of God that we should have experienced but that He took in our place. And to humble us. God loved us so much that He was willing to endure the wrath of God for us. Friends, there is hope to conquer anger because Jesus is greater. Amen? I thought we could have just a few moments here of discussion um, after I pray. So if the Lord puts something on your heart, feel free to share that in just a few moments here. Let me pray first. Lord, as I had, I've had to think a lot about anger these last couple weeks. And even looking back at my own life, just so grieved at my anger before you. So grieved. So grieved, especially thinking about those days before knowing Christ. In the fits of rage. And just so grateful to, to stand here with a new heart and a heart that doesn't relish anger like it used to. And a heart that wants to walk in peace and joy. And so Lord, I pray for us here today. That Lord, if there's someone here today who's never come to know you, that Lord, their hearts would be changed and transformed to see the perfect anger of God that the cross demonstrates. And to know that either they will pay for their sins 
or they can trust Christ and He will pay for their sins. That today would be the day of salvation. And for Lord, us who know You, who have received and understood what the cross means, that Lord, we would conquer anger to live out what Paul has commanded us here in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, that we would be salt and light, we would be different from the world, and would be evident by the things that we say, the things that we do. We know that we can, Lord, because of Your grace the supernatural resources you have given your church. Help us, Lord, to take them up and to live them out in a way that would bring you greater glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.